Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Steve. I'm one of the key leaders or main leaders in church life. And um, I uh, just really want to give you an incredibly warm welcome this morning. Um, particularly as this lovely sunny day, bank holiday weekend, you get extra righteousness points for being here this morning and not being away and especially you get extra righteous points for coming and listening to me this morning that's quite a tall order but that I'm joking about that in very lots of different ways but one of the things we really want in life is um, to make a difference isn't it we want to be happy, but we also, that's often connected with a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of change our world, our society. We've left something when we die. We want to leave a legacy, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. And David, King David, left an incredible legacy through his life. He was the founder of Jerusalem. So he is revered by the Jews as their greatest king. He is revered by Christians as someone who wrote much of the Bible. And he is even revered by the Muslims as a great prophet. David is certainly a huge man of history, left an incredible legacy. He wasn't perfect. We heard about that last week. But he did leave an incredible legacy, and I think we can learn something from him. And that's what we're going to do today. So let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here am I living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead, do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the Lord, the Lord that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I appointed to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. Like the na names of the greatest men on earth. And this was written 600 years, 700 years before Christ. Perhaps even more than that. And yet we can see, we can look back on history as David, as one of the great names of history. And he goes on. I will provide a place for my people. Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer disturbed. Wicked people 
shall not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. I recently read in Ed Silvosa's book Ecclesia, an amazing story of transformation. Someone, a, a, a place that was totally transformed by the, the love and grace of Jesus. And he does that. Known as the capital, the murder capital of the world. This place situated on the Mexican-US border. I'm not sure I can pronounce it. Um, Ciudad Juarez or something like that. Anyway, this pastor began to transform this community by prayer. And one of the key things they began to do was they began to pray for the hitmen. And their prayer wasn't answered immediately, but it did after a while. It happened in an unplanned way. A Mexico inmate came to faith in a prison in the United States. Shortly afterwards, the Holy Spirit directed him to minister to the cruelest criminal in the penal complex, a fellow national. Humanly speaking, this was a kamikaze mission because the other guy was running all the evil system, running an evil system. But propelled by his first love for Jesus, accompanied by childlike faith, this new believer also said, Yes, Lord, I'll do what you want. Not long after that, through a series of divine coincidence, coincidence, he led him to the Lord. Both men were released about the same time, but they went in opposite direction. The first one joined the pastor Poncho's church, where he grew spiritually, and the other went to his hometown, where he reverted to his old ways and became the chief of 80 hitmen, or schizarios. When the one attending Pastor Poncho's church heard his pastor's charge to pray for these hitmen, he also heard God say, Go and find Juan, not his real name, my son who is not walking in the light, and pray for him. Fully aware that he was risking his life, he made his way to the village where this Juan now had his command and control centre. Surprised, the chief scenario, Sicario, or hitman asked him, why are you here? Because God wants you back. And he sent me to pray for you. Maybe God's saying that to someone today, actually, that he wants you back. There was so much authority in his words that the recipient was unable to deny his authenticity. Looking over his shoulder, Juan said, okay, but not here. I'm having a staff meeting with eight hitmen, and it won't be appropriate. <laughs> he got that one right, because at that very moment they were plotting that night's killings. The two men walked 200 yards away, just as when the spirit-led Christian was about to lay hands on to pray for him. They heard the distinctive noise of gunfire. Two packed cars with hitmen from the rival cartel had just driven up to the house and killed Juan's eight associates in a deadly shower of bullets. What happened next is one of the most dramatic repentance and instant re-consecration stories that I know. The weight of what had just happened caved in on Juan 
And along with the realisation of the, that the risk his forgotten friend had taken to come and find him, he consummated his vow to follow Jesus right there on the street. For Juan, next came the momental problem of how to get out of the cartel. Because there were only two ways out. One was prison, the other was death. Facing the real consequences of his decision to follow Jesus, he went to see his boss, automatic rifle under his arm. Juan placed the AK-47 in his boss's hands and said, I can no longer do what I have been doing. There's no way out. Pull the trigger, no fooling around. Shoot me, in other words. Shocked, his boss said, why? You're an up-and-coming leader. You shouldn't throw all that away. Think it over. I've become a Christian, and I know the rules of our game. Juan replied, I have thought it through already, and there is no turning back. Pull the trigger. No fooling around. At that moment, the Holy Spirit intervened so powerfully that what had never happened before in the cartel took place. With piercing eyes, his boss looked at him and yelled, I will make an exception for the first and only time. You can go and be a Christian, but you better behave like one, because if you ever backslide, I will personally track you down, and I will kill you mercilessly. (laughs) That was definitely the most convincing way to ensure that new believers remain faithful. (laughs) And so... When these two guys followed Jesus, they began to transform many of the hitmen in that place and others involved as well. The transformation of Jesus. And we want to be people who are involved in transformation. We want to be people who leave a legacy, who leave a legacy for the kingdom of God if we love Jesus. David was described in Acts 13 as a man who served the purpose of God in his generation, and then he died. He had had left a legacy because he'd served God in his generation. In other words, he'd done the will of God. He'd followed God pretty much. Some areas, as we said last week, he hadn't done well. But on the main, he was considered a man after God's own heart, and he had served the will of God. But the problem is, what is the will of God for you and I? What do we do? You know, where do we, what is it that God wants to do? It was easy for David, wasn't he? You know, he, um, he went to a, a feast and then this prophet comes along, anoints him with oil and says, you are going to be king. He knew that, didn't he? And so he was able to survive being on the run for 15 years when someone else tried to kill him. He was able to be in that waiting room of life because he knew God's call on his life. And some of us would love someone to come along and pour oil on us and appoint us to a task. It would be so much easier if we only knew, wouldn't it? If we only knew what God wanted us to do, that would be great, wouldn't it? Now, to be sure, prophetic acts are available today. But we need to remember they are not inevitable. In other words, they are here, people can bring prophecy, but they are not inevitable. We need to test them 
and look at them there. If someone brings you a prophecy, it doesn't mean that you should go and do that thing. So, David, it was easy for him, wasn't it? Because he was called. He knew exactly what he needed to do. Now, what I want to... I want to just try and help us a bit today by thinking about four different types of God's will. And I think that will begin to help us understand what God might want us to do in our lives. The first one is we need to understand God's ways or his general will. So let's read it. I'm going to read again from 2 Samuel here. After the king settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. David had just brought that ark of covenant back to Jerusalem and set it up in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead, do it, for the Lord is with you. So why did Nathan say, yeah, do what's in your mind. Yeah, go and do it. Because he knew that that was part of the general will of God. There was nothing in the law and the prophets that said he shouldn't do that. He knew that that kind of reflected the will and heart of God. And he knew that God was with David. He knew at that time, that was before the incident with Bathsheba, he knew that God was with David and therefore this would be a good thing to do. God's ways, I think, can be best summed up as, as, as Ben said last week, by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and loving your neighbour as yourself. If you are doing those things, you are in God's ways. You are in his general will. But then, and, and actually if we love, that is the biggest way that we can leave a legacy in the kingdom of God because God never forgets what we do for him and for people. It, it says in the scriptures that even if we give a cup of water to someone, God, you will not lose your reward. If you honour a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. End of Matthew chapter 10, look it up. So the kingdom of God isn't necessarily about the big things that we might see. Sometimes it's about the hidden things. The person praying on their knees. How do we build a legacy? We build a legacy by doing the ways of God, by loving. But then Nathan comes along and spoils it because he says it was okay and then he comes back and says, no, it's not good. That must have been really hard for Nathan, wasn't it? But um, he says, no, you are not the one to build this temple. That is the specific will of God. We had the general will, now we've got the specific will. I love hearing the voice of God. It makes me realise that God is living and that he knows me and I have a relationship with him. And there's nothing better than that. And God actually is wanting to speak into our lives far more than we are willing to listen. But sometimes he's silent. What do we do? It seems... 
it seems that he wants us to choose sometimes. Some have argued that God gives us a road map to follow through life. I think a better analogy that he has given us a guide. He's given us the principles of the scriptures and he's given us the very presence of the Holy Spirit to guide us through life. I don't have time to go into that more, but I think God's will is more flexible than we sometimes think. To be sure, there are some things God has decided, and that's my third type of God's will, his fixed will, which we'll look at in a moment. But I don't believe life is fixed and all mapped out in a fatalistic way. God wants, he's given us choice to, to bring in his will. And what's interesting is this, is that what appears is that this idea of building a house of God is David's idea, shockingly, not God's. You would have thought that this temple, this remarkable temple that was going to be used throughout the Old Testament, you would think that God would have said to someone, come and do it. But actually, scriptures tell us that it was put into the heart of David. David's heart pulled out. It comes out even stronger in, in two kings um, 13, but we'll, 2 Kings 8 rather, verse 17. Well, that's perplexing to us. I think it's because God responds to our hearts, our godly desires. They need, to, of course, to be in will with his general will, but God responds to our godly passions. David built a legacy, I think, partly through his godly passions. Now, okay, David didn't get to build the temple, did he? But he did get to plan the temple. God gave him the blueprint later on in life. He, David was enabled to be involved in um, organising the resources for that temple. David had some part to play in that temple out of that passion that God had put in his heart. And what's put into our hearts gives us a clue about what we might do for God, how we might build a legacy, the passion in our hearts. Another way is using our gifts. God has made you uniquely, and so he wants you to use your gifts and my gifts to serve him and bring in his kingdom and, bring and, and have a legacy. But some people go through life feeling very confused. And I think I want my next slide. Lovely. So, there's the fixed will of God. Some things that God is going to do. Then the next thing, the next slide, is that his, God's ways or his general will. Those things like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength... And sometimes people, just as we seek God, he's silent. We don't know what to do. We don't know what his will is. But I think if you're seeking him and you don't hear and you're doing his wills, doing his general will, you are in the specific will for your life. And if you're in the wrong place, you're trying to build a temple when God doesn't want you to build a temple, he will come along and he will tell you and he will show you. 
So that's where God's, if you're in the centre of his will, his general will, he will come along and speak to you if you're not in the right place. I want to talk briefly about the fixed will of God. Because that's in this passage as well, but we need to read the next bit. Okay, So 2 Samuel 7 verse 11b. Next slide. Could be the next one again. Keep going. There we go. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Excuse me. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as, it, as I took it away from Saul. That was the previous king to David. Whom I removed from you. Your house, your kingdom shall endure forever before me. And your throne shall be established forever. I love the way that we can't outdo God. David has this idea of building a temple or a house of God. And God says no, but he says, I'm going to give you something even better. I'm going to give you a house, a dynasty instead. You, the kings of Israel, are going to, be, are going to come out of your body. You are going to be the ancestor. You are going to form a dynasty that is going to succeed. God, you cannot outdo God. And God was faithful down to that promise down the years. We can read it as we look into the, the, into the kings and so on. What happened was the 12 tribes of Israel got split into 10 northern tribes and 2 southern tribes. And if you look at them, the ten northern tribes, which is slightly confusing because it also called Israel, they had nine dynasties over a period of 210 years. Okay? But the southern tribe, which we call Judah, David's dynasty, that lasted 345 years at least. God was faithful to David and his descendants in a way that was quite remarkable despite their sin. And God is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to you as you love him and you've become a child. He is near you. He is with you and will go with you wherever you go. He is faithful to his promises. But more than that, I think this, this is pointing to Jesus. And in verse 13, he says... He is the one, that is, he is the, your descendant. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. To be sure, it is pointing to Solomon, who's going to build the temple. And Solomon's kingdom was impressive. 
But when it talks about it going on forever, this is no human kingdom. I think you can see it more clearly when we look at some other scriptures because later on they kept looking back to this, this, this passage, looking back to this covenant, looking back to this story. So when Jerusalem was about to fall in 586 BC and the nation was about to be taken into captivity, Jeremiah was there prophesying. And he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. I think he's referring back to that. In those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout out from David's line, a descendant of David, in other words. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is in the context of this Jerusalem going to be destroyed. And, and he says this, This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Saviour. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And this is the name by which it will be called. I think it's it is referring to the branch. And if you look at the footnote, it says he. And the parallel passage in Jeremiah 23 also says he. And what's amazing is that the branch, the descendant of David is going to be the Lord, our righteous saviour. And the Lord here is Yahweh. Somehow, Yahweh is going to be a branch of David. He is going to be a descendant of David. And we know that to be Jesus, don't we? We know that Jesus fulfilled that. And he was a righteous saviour. He was the one that came and enabled you and I to come into a relationship with God because we have sinned and we have done things wrong and we've fallen away and we've not done the things God would want us to do. But God has died upon the cross. Yahweh, the Lord, our righteousness, has died upon the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be welcomed into his dynasty, into his family, into his house. And in fact, even be a temple, a house of God. The Holy Spirit actually comes into you and I when we come to know Jesus and we become a house of God and together a house of God as well. Isn't that fantastic that God wanted to love me so much that he sent his son, that he died upon a cross, that we might be part of his family. That's the fixed will of God, the faithfulness of God, that he wanted to redeem people to himself. And actually that's the fourth primary will. Fourth will is the primary will is that God wants to know us and love us and be in relationship with us in life. Isn't that fantastic? The creator of all wants to know me and you. But as we begin to know the will of God, there are two very significant dangers. The first one is that we settle. You know, David could have settled as a very good shepherd, couldn't he? 
you know, tending the sheep or whatever. But he didn't. He heard the voice of God and he became that warrior, that amazing warrior that killed Goliath. He could have been a very good warrior and settled as a very good warrior, couldn't he? And then he had that amazing anointing experience and so he became king. And he could, and he could have settled just as a king. But then something more happened as well. The Spirit of God was so upon him that he, he was a worshipper. And he became this person that wrote all these amazing psalms that we still use today. He went again to that another level. The, the legacy that he left through not settling was very powerful. And many of us tend to settle in life as we begin to know God's will. The second big danger is that we don't surrender. And that's particularly true of those in middle life and to the end of life, the second half of life, if you like. David wasn't allowed to build the temple. He had to leave that to the next generation. And it must have hurt him. He must have found that difficult, but he had to surrender that idea that he, he had and he treasured that he should build it. But he did. And he seems to surrender incredibly graciously. And actually that's really hard sometimes. But in the second half of life, we need to be in a place where we surrender our callings, our roles, and serve. Our primary thing that we need to do is to serve. Our roles are temporary. And we need to lay those down in the second, mid to second half life and ask God again, is that the thing you want me to do? Or do I need to give it up? And you'll find um, David was praying for, so for Samuel, sorry, for Solomon. He prayed for him. He prayed for that next generation. He encouraged that next generation. You find him encouraging um, Solomon as well. And there is a need to hand over to the next generation. To leave a legacy definitely involves that. So where does that land for us today? The first thing is that if we're going to leave a legacy, we need to serve the purpose of God in our generation. We need to have a heart that is after God's heart. And really the three previous talks, or three or four talks, point about how we can have that heart after God's heart. But we, the second thing we mustn't do, second thing I want us to come to, is not to settle in what God has, what we're doing. Is God moving us on? Is there something fresh he's putting on our hearts? Is there a fresh calling? Should we be seeking him about what he, he calls us to do? Stephen Furtick in his book Greater writes, Most Christians are not in danger of ruining their lives, but wasting them. And the third point I want to say is, some people here are worried they're not in God's specific will. Maybe because you haven't seen the fruit. Maybe because you're struggling. Maybe you're just uncertain. 
But I want to tell you that if you're doing the ways of God and you've been seeking him and you haven't heard something specific, then you are in the will of God. You are in the specific will of God for your life. And you need to rest in that assurance that you are where God wants you to be. And as you're serving him, you are serving the purpose of God in your generation. I think it, I'm just going to end with this verse. Colossians 3 verse 17. Which I think sums it all up. Whatever you do. You see really. It doesn't matter to God quite so much what we do. It's the way that we do it. And how we do it. And who we do it for that what really matters. Colossians 3 verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do it in the way Jesus would like us to do it. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's about doing it to God and doing it with God. That's the key.